for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Thank you, Jesus. He's an awesome God. Hallelujah. You can take your seats and turn with me to 2 Chronicles 20. Hallelujah. 2 Chronicles 20. So I, I'm going to get to 2 Chronicles 20 in a, in a minute, but I want to kind of highlight what we're going into for tomorrow and the next 14 days, which is fasting and prayer. Amen. Amen. And so Pastor Devin um, a few weeks ago told us that he really wants to focus on spiritual formation. So foundation. So you see the formation behind me. It's about spiritual formation. Amen. Amen. And so we are going into a time of fasting, consecration for 14 days. And so I just wanted to highlight and get an understanding of what is spiritual formation? What is fasting? And so we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 20 as an example, but I want to give some context to that before we get to that passage. Is that all right? All right. Amen. So this series is about formation, spiritual formation, and we have this corporate fast starting on Monday, going through October 1st. And during this time, we're abstaining from, as Brother Errol said, the meats and the sweets, and we're calling into the prayer line at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. for corporate prayer. And I will be the first to admit that when Pastor Devin texts leadership or sent us an email, I can't remember which way you communicate with us, that we were going to fast. My initial reaction was not positive. I was like, okay, I guess. Amen. There's the pastor. All right. Amen. Help me, Lord. And I mean, can I be honest? I'm with family. Can I be honest? That when I saw that, that text or email, I was like, oh, okay. And I was talking with Will and with Pastor Lisa. I was up at St. Joe's for some doctor's appointments. So I was sharing with them. I was like, okay, I need to change my attitude toward this fast. Help me, Lord. I'm, I'm struggling, God. And I believe there's this disconnect when we hear fasting. We have this different attitude toward fasting because we know we should fast, but we don't really want to do it. And I think that's because we don't quite understand the power and purpose of fasting. And so we feel a little ambivalent. We're apathetic. We're just like, I guess, I don't really don't feel like doing this, but I, I mean, I'm going to do it because Pastor said do it. And it's because we don't hold fasting in high regard. We don't see any value in fasting. We don't understand the there's power and purpose. And there's a lot of mystery around fasting and consecration. So we're just like... Uh, I guess. I mean, I may be the only person that was like that when you saw that in your Thursday trailer. And I may be the only person because, you know, y'all don't have open up the emails anyway. But when I saw that email saying that we had to fast, I was like, okay, I, I guess, I guess. So when I got a text saying that I was going to have to preach before the consecration, I'm like, Lord, I really need some understanding. Amen. And so let, let's get some clarity. Let, let's kind of, you know, reveal some, some purpose and, and some power behind fasting. So let's delve into the Word of God and try and figure out what is fasting 
and why do we fast? Amen. So what is fasting? Literally, it means abstaining from food. So we understand there are people who may have certain, you know, physical and medical restrictions, so you certainly can modify. But fasting is abstaining or turning away from natural and secular things to seek God. And we have some examples of this both in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. In Old Testament fasting, there is kind of public corporate fasting like we're doing uh, for these next few weeks, and there was private fasting. So public fasts were called because of lamentation. That just kind of means like communal mourning, just lamenting, pouring out to God, crying out. There was this penance that was necessary because there was some disobedience or sin. So a fast was sometimes called and people would put on the sackcloth and ash because they were in grief over their sin. And this happens in 2 Samuel 1 and 12, also in 2 Samuel 7 and 6. So again, 2 Samuel 1 and 12, 7 and 6, and Jonah 3 and 5, that there is this mourning, there's this grief about sin. And so there's this uh, kind of communal fast that that is called, that the prophets will call. And then there's private individual fast. This also happens in the Old Testament. David fasted after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin. Hannah fasted because she was seeking God for something. This is in 1 Samuel uh, 1 and 7. Nehemiah the prophet fasted on behalf of the people. The people wouldn't fast, but he said, I know we need the Lord, so I'm going to fast. This is Nehemiah 1 and 4. So this idea of fasting is all throughout the Word of God. The Old Testament, there's fasting because of mourning, there's fasting because of affliction, and that Hebrew word for fasting literally means that you are afflicting yourself physically, that you're humbling yourself before God. Um, there is um, a commentary, I forget the name of it, but they call fasting human subtraction for divine addition. So that in the Old Testament, it's really given us that example that I'm, that, that word for fasting in the Hebrew means afflicting yourself. So human subtraction, I'm going to turn away from food so that I can have divine addition, so I can receive from God. New Testament examples of fasting is a little bit interesting because in the Old Testament, there's this kind of correlation, this relationship between fasting and sin and fasting and mourning. But when we look in the New Testament, Jesus is talking about fasting in a way that there should be joy in fasting. So in the Old Testament, they're putting on the sackcloth and ashes. There's this public display of mourning. But in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Jesus rebukes this ritual and performance of fasting that the Pharisees are doing. They're just doing it out of performance, just doing it for the sake of doing it. And he says, no, 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 wash your face, look happy. There's no need for the ashes, but fast in private, fast deep in your spirit, make it real. Because if you fast in private, your father in heaven will publicly reward you. So the Old Testament, we have this fasting correlation with sin and mourning. But in the New Testament, we have this fast and having um, joy in your fast and putting on, uh, um, uh, you know, washing your face, not putting on the sackcloth and ashes because you know that God's going to reward you openly for your private sacrifice. Amen. So looking at this both Old and New Testament uh, uh, accounts and examples for fasting, we have an idea of what is fasting and why we fast. And, and I like to kind of combine this all in, in a phrase that fasting is a response. 
So fasting is a response. It is a spiritual response. In the Old Testament, we see that fasting was sometimes a response to sin. Fasting is a response to a need. Fasting in the New Testament was a response to a desire to know God or for God to do something. So as we are trying to uh, um, build and mature and grow, our response to hardship, our response to need, our response to trials, and our response to sin needs to be to fast. That fasting is a response, and fasting is turning to God. And we turn to God in all kinds of ways. We turn to God when we pray. We turn to God when we worship and praise. And fasting is just an extension of that. It's a little bit different from prayer and praise because prayer and praise happens all the time. Prayer and praise is not episodic. Prayer and praise doesn't just happen every so often. The Word of God says that we're to pray without ceasing, right? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says in Luke 18 and 1, men ought always to pray. We know that prayer is supposed to happen all the time. Praise happens all the time. My favorite Psalm, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. So prayer and praise is continual. It happens all the time. Why? Because God is always worthy. Amen. And we always need to pray because we need to be in constant communication with him. But fasting is different. As I mentioned, fasting is a response. It's inspired by something. Fasting is strategic. It draws us closer to God and gives a perspective of who God is. Fasting is not for us to move God. We think that if we fast, then God is going to do something. But fast is not to move God, but fasting is to transform us so that we're ready for when God moves. So again, fasting is not for us to move God. Fasting is to prepare us so that we're ready for God to move. And we're inspired to get ready because something happened. Something is inspiring us. Something is the, uh, the impetus to that fast. It's not something that we're fasting all the time, but we're fasting because something is motivating us to fast. And so when I was looking at all the different accounts of fasting, that's how I came to 2 Chronicles 20. Because something happened with the people of God that led Jehoshaphat to say, we need to fast. So if we look at chapter 20, that there's this account of Jehoshaphat that has some enemies against him. And he calls for a fast, he prays, and then God responds. And this is an account that's fairly familiar to, to a few of you all, man. So I, I just want to walk through this text. Are y'all with me? All right. So Jehoshaphat calls for a fast. He prays. They worship. And God responds. Something happened. Let's look and see what happened. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Midianites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. Behold, they, uh, they are in, um, and I'm going to mess up this word, Hazazan Tamar, that is in Nigi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So what's going on in this text? Jehoshaphat doesn't have one enemy. He doesn't have two, but he has three enemies, an alliance of enemies against him. 
And the people reported to him that it was a great multitude that was coming against Jehoshaphat. And are there times in your life that there's just not one thing going wrong? That there's a great multitude of issues? That you have a great multitude of responsibilities? That you have a great multitude of frustrations? I'm dealing with a great multitude of health issues. There's a great multitude of bills. There's a great multitude of things that are going on in my life. I may be the only one, but there's not just one thing. There's not just family. There's not just finances. There's not just this political, you know, climate that we're in. There's not just one thing going on, but there was a great multitude. There's a reason why we fast. There's some motivation behind the fast. So there were things going on that Jehoshaphat it says that he was afraid and he called a fast. Believers are not exempt from fear, but we have God in whom we can take our fear too. Fear doesn't always look like being scared. And I'm going to talk about myself so you all don't, you know, um, accuse me of talking about somebody else. But fear is it's such a frustrating emotion. It's, it's a human reaction. We're going to deal with it. But when I am dealing with fear, I manifest that into pride. That because I'm afraid that I can't handle it, because I know that I'm ill-equipped to deal with something, I'm going to be prideful and not tell anyone that I'm struggling. I'm going to be prideful and overcompensate because I know I don't have it. And I know that I have a great multitude of things going on. And because of that, I'm just going to try and power through and deal with it on my own, knowing that I'm really just fearful that it's not going to work out. Fear is not supposed to inspire us to be prideful or inspire us to, to focus on our insecurities. Our response to fear needs to be relying on the only thing that's secure, and that is God and his faithfulness, God and his word, the body of Christ. That's what's secure. And Jehoshaphat doesn't have a response like I do. When I'm afraid, I try to just figure it out on my own because I, I don't want anyone to see how ill-equipped that I am. But Jehoshaphat's response is to seek God. He calls for a fast and he prays. Looking at verse 5 through 12, it's this prayer that Jehoshaphat it, it, it goes before the Lord. Once he recognizes this great multitude against him, he's fearful. He acknowledges that fear, but it motivates him to fast and pray. And recognize that when you're fasting, you have to pray because fasting without prayer is just a diet. So Jehoshaphat recognizes, again, something's inspiring him to fast, and that is this fear and this great multitude, and then he prays. You have to seek God during this fast. And so let's look at his prayer, starting at verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. 
Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give them to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it, have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before you this house, before you, your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Looking at verses 5 through 12, Jehoshaphat starts his prayer with affirmation and ends it with petition. He starts his prayer affirming who God is and then ends it with what he needs from God. Jehoshaphat begins his prayer not with his problem, but he begins his prayer with his solution. Are you not God in heaven? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms? Every question that he asks is written in such a way that the answer is yes. Yes, he is God in heaven. Yes, he is ruler over kingdom. Yes, he is the one who delivers. He acknowledges that while there's a great multitude, I know one who is greater. I may have a great multitude of things going on, but I know that there's one that's greater. He begins his fast with praise and with worship and with prayer. His petition is, God, we've encountered these enemies before, and we didn't destroy them because you wouldn't let us do it. So now look at what's happening. This multitude of enemies came not because they did something wrong, but because they were being obedient. And so Jehoshaphat is calling for justice. God, do something. And it's verse 12 that strikes so true to me that when I'm feeling powerless, again, it evokes fear. And sometimes that fear is causing me to want to do all these other things. But for Jehoshaphat, he acknowledges, for we are powerless, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our natural response that when we feel powerless is to either fall apart it's to fight, to hustle, to use what little we know we do have to try and make it work. But Jehoshaphat shows us a better way. That when you feel powerless, go to the one who has power. That fasting is acknowledging that we don't have the power and we don't know what to do, but alas, our eyes are on you, God. I may not know which way to go, but my eyes are on you, God. I don't know where the money's coming from, but my eyes are on you, God. I don't know how the healing will take place, but alas, my eyes are on you, God. I may not know, but I serve an omniscient God who does know. And I may be powerless, but I serve a God who is omnipotent so I may not know God but my eyes are on you fasting gives us a different perspective that when we're fasting and praying instead of leaning into our fears about the multitude we lean into a God that's more than well able to deliver Jehoshaphat's prayer is rooted in his understanding and confidence in a God with a proven track record 
He begins to list all the things that God has done. Listen, you gave us this land and we did what you told us to do in this land. You're the God of Abraham, that he's rooting his prayer in what he knows of God. He's confident that God is listening, that God is there because he knows God's track record. He's a faithful God. Hallelujah. So fasting gives Jehoshaphat a different perspective that he's fasting and not focusing on his problem and his fear, but he's fasting, focusing on God who is able. So during this fast, God responds through a prophet, this Levite named Jehaziel. And we don't hear about Jehaziel any other time in the Word of God. This is the one and only time we have Jehaziel, this Levite, this prophet. And, and I think the reason why we kind of get Jehaziel's, um, uh, for lack of better phrasing, his resume in this scripture is because we don't know him. He's not one of the Levites that we typically hear from in the Old Testament. Amen. And so looking at verse 14, this is God's response. When we fast and we pray, God responds. Amen. And so verse 14, in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, here's his resume, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he says, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Hallelujah. I got about two, three people, hallelujah, who recognize what's being read. Amen. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Hallelujah. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites, the son of the Kohathites, and of the sons of the Korahites, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. There are wars that we fight with the Lord's help. And then there's situations that God fights without our participation. Last week, Reverend Godby said that he was declaring a season of sweatless victory. That's what 2 Chronicles 20 is referring to. They said the battle is not yours, but it is God. It said stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Fasting and prayer puts you in a position to take your hands off of it. Fasting and prayer takes your focus off of all the things that you want to do, all the things that you think you have to do, all the distractions. It causes you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Fasting and prayer gives you a perspective that I'm not focusing on the great multitude, but I'm going to focus on you, Lord. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourself. And I like the way the Amplified Bible says, take your position 
Your position isn't running around doing all the things. Your position is being on your knees and seeking God. That's the purpose of fasting. Amen. It says take your position and see the salvation of the Lord. The situations that we are facing are greater than us, but they're just right for God. But when we don't fast and pray, then we run risk of trying to do all these things out of our own ability, not recognizing that we are powerless. Hallelujah. It says, station yourself with fast and prayer. Station yourself and see the salvation of the Lord. Take your position so that you can get out of God's way and he can do what he does best. And the people of God, upon hearing this word, what was their reaction when they heard the prophet? They worshiped. Upon hearing this prophetic message, a lot of the times, if you look at the book of First and Second Chronicles, and even in First and Second Kings, and some of the, the lesser-known prophets, that whenever a prophet spoke, even if it was like a word of rebuke or a, a word of encouragement, a word of victory before battle, most of the time when a prophet spoke, there would be like a praise of lamentation if it was like a word of rebuke, or it was a praise of thanksgiving. It never immediately went to worship. This is one of the few accounts that the word of God went forward and the people of God, before it even came to pass, they worshiped. Jehoshaphat bowed with his head, his face on the ground, and all of Judah, all of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and worshiped him. The worship is happening during the fast. It's happening before even the multitude gets to the people. It's happening before the victory because the people of God dare to take the word of God seriously. They begin to worship because they have the audacity to believe what the prophet said. Is there anybody here? that have that kind of audacious faith, that during this fast, over the next 14 days, that you, when you hear the word of God, will you worship in spite of your situation not changing immediately? That fasting gives us the perspective that I don't need to see the outcome, but I'm going to worship at the word because I know what you said the outcome will be. My fasting isn't to move you, God, because I know you're already moving. My fasting is to move me so that I will worship you whether or not I I see it, I will have audacious faith that says, God, you're worthy because I know that you are fighting my battle. I can't fight this, God. I am ill-equipped, but I serve a God, hallelujah, who is greater than anything that I will come against, so I will worship. I don't know what else to do, God, but to worship. You gave your word, so all my response is, is to worship. I am going to deny myself these things of the world because I need to have the right perspective so that I'm ready when you do deliver. Hallelujah to receive. His response to the word is to worship. Hallelujah. The fast didn't mobilize them to fight. The fast didn't mobilize them to war, but the fast mobilized them to worship. 
that denying the food, denying, hallelujah, the physical things, prepared them to receive the spiritual things. They were prepared to receive the word. The worship is happening in the midst of all of that. There's a commentary that says praises and worship during lament and fasting challenges the Lord to live up to his record. That if you said it, God, I'm going to worship you now because I know you need to live up to your word. I know you're going to live up to your record. So I'm going to praise and worship you in the midst of my fasting and my lament because I'm going to challenge you to live up to this word that you just spoke. Their response to the fear was to fast, and their response to the fast was to worship. Hallelujah. All of Judah fasted. It stated that the women, the men, the children, all of Judah fasted, and all of Judah worshiped. And I know there's some of you who may have just been like me when they first saw that, that email, that fast, like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this or I don't feel like doing this. But it was a corporate fast that led to corporate worship. It said all of Judah worshiped. Corporate fasting that led to corporate worship for a corporate victory. I don't want to be standing alone when it comes time to stand and see God handle the multitude of issues. I want some company with me as we take our position and move forward in the things of God. Amen. So that means I need you with me. That's what Pastor Devin said. I'm inviting you to worship and fast and seek God with me because we know that God is going to deliver. And I don't want to be alone when the deliverance comes. So I need you to be invested in seeking God. All of them fasted. All of them worshiped. And it said all of them for three days. At the end of this chapter, it said that they, that the enemies, when they came, that they basically defeated themselves. All three of them ended up fighting themselves. And then they went down. And when they, when they saw the enemies coming, what did they do? They began to worship more. They began to praise more. And the enemies were fighting each other. And they were defeated. It said it took all of the people of God three days to recover all of the spoil, all of the goods, all of the things. So I need help recovering the blessings of God. So that means I need you to be in the right position to receive. Fasting puts us into that position. This is not an individual fast. This isn't a fast because we feel like it. This isn't a fast to make something magical happen. But this fast is an opportunity to get on one accord, to get the right perspective, to, to be invested in with your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be invested into this vision as a body of believers that we're not going to give in to fear. We're not going to give in to the fear of the great multitude of things going on in our lives, but we're going to seek God. Hallelujah. So no, over the next 14 days, and I'm getting ready uh, to, to, to close. Over the next 14 days, we're going to turn away from indulgences. So practical things about fasting, right? That fasting is more than just, I'm going to not do this or not do that. But fasting is not indulging in things, replacing that with, with indulging into the word of God, amen? Replacing that with waking up a little bit early for 6 a.m. prayer and setting reminders in your phone for 6 p.m. prayer, amen? So practical ways that we're going to walk this thing out. 
is that we're going to, whether it's not being on social media, not listening to certain music, not talking to certain people, whatever that is, so that we can focus on God. It's not saying that those things are bad, but it's saying that those things don't compare to what I need, which is more of God. It's saying that I need God more because the great multitude that's around me, social media is not gonna be able to give me victory over that great multitude. Those other things in my life, they're not going to give me victory in the ways that I need victory in my life. Those other, this great multitude that's around me, I need to seek God. I need to seek God alongside my pastor and, and the other ministers and the other uh, people that is uh, attached to this body of Christ. I need to seek God on their behalf because we need him. There's too great a multitude. So over the next 14 days, it's just about turning away from those things and turning to God, reminding yourself who God is. Fasting gives you perspective of who God is. That's why I love Jehoshaphat's prayer. It's one of the most powerful prayers in the Word of God because he starts it with his solution. Fasting gives you a perspective of who God is, that he is so much greater. Hallelujah. So during the next 14 days, turn away from indulgences, reminding yourself who God is, repeating back to God who he is, who he has proven himself to be, praising God in advance for the victory that we're abstaining from, from meat and we're abstaining from sweets. And every time I saw that, I was reminded of the scripture that we're abstaining from meat. And I was reminded of what Jesus said, that my meat is to do the will of God. That I'm abstaining from natural meat because I want to do God's will. That the meat that I have, you don't, you, this world can't give me. What I need is to do God's will. And when I looked at that we're abstaining from sweets, that there's someone sweeter. Hallelujah. That Psalms 119 and 103 said, how sweet are the words unto my mouth. Yes, sweeter than honey are they that I need the word of God. So I may not need that donut. I don't need that muffin, but I need the sweet word of God. That he's sweet, I know. That I need to seek him all the more because this great multitude, hallelujah, won't be defeated in my own ability ability, but it will be defeated through Christ. Hallelujah. So I'm going to turn away from my own will and my meat will be to do the will of God. I'm going to turn away from those sweet indulgences. And y'all know how much I love to bake. And I've been baking just about every other week. And Lisa, no, I, I take it, give it to Will and we'll bring it to work. Uh, and Melissa will have all the zucchini bread and coffee cake and whatever else. It, all of that doesn't compare to what I need from God, which is just more of him. I need to be in the right position for the victory. Stand to your feet, amen? So over these next 14 days, prayer and fasting. We, we don't like to fast because it's inconvenient. We don't like to fast because we don't recognize the value in it. But recognize in this account here with Jehoshaphat, that the purpose of fasting is to prepare you, not for battle, but for victory. That fasting is to prepare you for the being positioned to receive what you know God has for you. This is not for you to fight, and it's too big for you to fight, but it's just the right size for him. 
Hallelujah. So as we, of course, preparing practically, making sure that you have the right things in your house, don't have the, the Oreos, we just sang about Oreos this morning, don't have the Oreos in your house so you won't be tempted. And it seems like whenever I'm fasting, that's when everybody comes to the office with all the free food and want to take you out to eat. And there's just steaks. I don't even eat steak. There's just free steak available, right? When you're consecrating, right? When you choose to seek God, everything's free. The enemy, he a mess, ain't he? The devil is a liar. So practically, you know, make sure your house is in order so that you won't be tempted even in your own house. But I just invite you today that we're just going to go before the throne of grace, whether you want to come at the altar or just pray where you are. But I just want to invite you to have the right mindset going into fasting. Fasting isn't magic. Fasting isn't uh, something that we do to force God to do something. But fasting is all about you getting the right perspective, being in the right position to receive from God. Amen. And fasting, it, yes, we have individual private fasts, but this is a corporate fast because we don't want to be alone when it comes time for the victory. We want you all to receive that. So this is the time to just say, Lord, renew my mind. God, you have set this time aside for us to seek you. That when we see a great multitude of things happening, our knee-jerk reaction is to do all kind of things to, to make it work, to figure it out. But God, we are just standing still. Standing still on your promises. Standing still on your word, God, as our firm foundation. We, God, are turning our hearts and our minds to you, even though we may feel powerless, even though we may feel like we don't know which way to go, God. We take today to turn our eyes to you. We may not know what to do, but, God, our eyes are on you. So, Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our minds, God. Give us ears to hear your voice in the midst of the fast, God. You may have people that we didn't think were going to speak into our lives. God, give us ears to hear your voice, that we can hear your voice, God, through the word of God in our own private devotion. Hear your voice when we're calling in at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., God. Let that time of corporate prayer, oh, Lord, just be a time where you meet us, Lord. Hallelujah. God, I just pray for all those who are here in this assembly, Lord. For those who may not know you, Lord God. Who may not have had a relationship with you, Lord. I just pray that they hear your calling. Hallelujah. Your words are that, Lord, you stand at the door and knock. I pray that they know that feeling that they're feeling right now, oh God. The, the, that that's you knocking. Holy Spirit, have your way that they may know you as Savior and Lord, that they know how much you love them, that you love them with an everlasting love. Draw them ever closer to you, God. Hallelujah. Lord God, I repent of feeling uh, apathetic toward fasting, God. God, I ask that we, uh, that we continue to hold fasting in hard, high regard. God, I pray that you renew my mind, that I see the value in denying myself. And I just seek you all the more. 
because God, we may not have the great multitude in front of us right now, but we know there's a great multitude coming. <laughs> that there are three times in our life that either we're coming out of trials, we're going into trials, or we're in one right now. So Lord, we use this time of corporate fasting just to seek your face, to be in the right position. Hallelujah, to hear the right position to hear your voice, the right position to receive your word, God. Oh Lord, I pray that our hearts, oh Lord, our good ground, oh God, that your word will bring forth fruit in our lives, Lord. That we won't uh, allow ourselves to be motivated by fear, but God will be motivated by your word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we just pray that you are glorified, that we aren't doing this out of habit or out of ritual or just because, but God, we use this time truly to seek your face. Hallelujah. God, we just want your will to be done. Our meat is to do your will, God. Your will be done, Lord. I love you, God. I thank you, God. Hallelujah. And just as Jehoshaphat, God, I worship you before the victory. Because we know, hallelujah, that you're working all things out for our good. Hallelujah. Your word says all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, who are called according to your purpose. I thank you for this assembly of called people, that you're working things out for their good, God. So we worship you now. We worship you before the battle, God. We glorify your name, God. We bless your name, Jesus. We worship you at your word, God. We have audacious faith that says we will stand still, God, and see the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I invite you all to come to the altar. All those who may... This may be your first time experiencing the joy of salvation. I invite you to the altar, amen. Those who may be struggling, who may have had some struggle with even thinking whether or not you were going to fast, I invite you to come meet us at the altar, amen, as we seek God, hallelujah. community at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.